Hospitality Meets is brought to you by Rotacloud, the staff scheduling app for hospitality teams. Rotacloud lets you create and share rotas, record attendance, and manage your team's annual leave, all in less time than it takes to make a brew. It can also make life easier for your staff, allowing them to check their rotas, request holiday, and even pick up extra shifts, all through the Rotacloud mobile app. Start your 30-day free trial today by visiting rotacloud.com forward slash fill and find out how much easier managing your team can be. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Claire Cockhill, chef and owner of Cafe Cool on the Isle of Skye. Coming up on today's show, Claire gives out some great startup business advice. I would just crack on and give it a bash. Phil gets flummoxed. I don't know, I can't even think of the analogy. And Claire recounts one hell of a story. To my horror, the entire hill, metres away from the cafe, was engulfed in flames. All that and so much more as Claire chats us through her quite remarkable journey so far. Claire's story is brilliant, and amongst the anecdotes, she's got some very interesting points around culture. Points you won't want to miss. Please don't forget to give us a like and a share. Enjoy. And a huge hospitality meets welcome to Claire Coghill. Hi, Phil. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Up on the Isle of Skye here. Yes, indeed. Well, I'd be, yeah, straight to it. Tell the world who you are and what you do. <laughs> um, so my name is Claire Cockhill. I'm the chef and owner of Cafe Cool up on the Isle of Skye. And we are a daytime restaurant focusing solely on Hebridean brunch, which is our concept. And what we like to do is to get inspiration from the island itself and utilise the incredible produce that we have all around us, whether that be seafood or it could be animals that are reared on the sky itself or it could be foraging just from everything that you can get just in your doorstep. So that's what I do and we're based right up on the Isle of Skye so weather can be a bit of a predicament sometimes when it comes to foraging. Yes, well, as a as a Western Isles boy myself, born in well, not born, but I was raised on Tyree. Yes, I understand the Western uh, the Western Islands weather is uh, it's unique. <laughs> it certainly is, and it seems like we have our own weather system up here entirely, and that actually lends itself quite well to our seasonal lifestyle up on Sky. So, compared to other restaurants in the industry around the UK. Sky actually has its own season, if you will. So okay. we, because of the weather and because of how wild things can get in the winter, we tend to only operate from March kind of towards the end of November. And then after that, we close our doors for a few months because we don't really get many visitors during that time. Right. Yeah. And just let hell wash over the island for uh, for three months. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we've got quite used to that now. Yeah, absolutely. We used to literally go and catch the school bus in the morning, walking down our 50 metre driveway, I say driveway, road, track, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> uh, horizontally fighting the, the wind to get to the to get to the bus. It is a, it's, a, a, it's a blowy part of the world, for sure. It's mental. And even you just telling that story, it it has made me realise how much it kind of hardens you up as a child growing up in that that environment and not really realising that that's not the norm. But 
um, as you were describing walking to school there or get catching the bus, we would get the bus in the dark in school and we would get dropped off by the bus in the dark in the depths yep. of winter. So it really yeah. is quite an existence up here when you're fighting the elements. It is. And now one of the things that I always talk about um, amongst my, my friends is that uh, cold water swimming is a is a major thing now, right? But we were, I mean, I was a pioneer of that back in my uh, my teens in my Bermuda shorts in the middle of November out in the sea. Uh, yeah, I mean, looking at that now, madness. Madness. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it is madness. And um, things like cold water swimming and all of these novelty things that social media has emphasised and blown up are just things that we would do as children. Yeah. There's one place on Sky, I don't know if people listening have ever been, but the fairy pools are these kind of world-recognised natural waterfalls on the Isle of Skye. It's, um, I think, after Edinburgh, it's like the most searched hashtag of, in Scotland. Oh, wow. right. um, so it's a really, really famous spot, which is, um, fortunately for us, really close to the cafe. But as, as a child, we would go and swim there and you wouldn't see a soul. But now it gets thousands of visitors a day. Really? And right. It's funny how you talk about cold water swimming and all of these things. It's only because of social media, and which is a good thing, I guess, as well. But they've shone a light on all of these incredible natural resources that we just had as the norm growing up. I know, and, pro- and probably, I don't know if you're like me, but I totally took it for granted when I was a teenager. I, was oh, t- I, couldn't, I couldn't wait to escape, but there we are. That's a story <laughs> for another day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, actually, you've highlighted this, the positive side of social media there, I think. Uh, I, I mean, social media obviously gets a bad press around all the online trolling and all of that stuff. But actually, when it's used in probably maybe what it was meant for in the original way that it was produced to the world, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing in terms of just educating yourself as to what's out there. And then, you know, from a, a tourism and hospitality perspective, you can be a proper benefactor of that. Oh, absolutely. There's so many different layers to that conversation and concept of social Without media. Question. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. And a lot of negative ones as well. But from a, you know, young entrepreneur in the restaurant industry, social media has been integral to our success so far um without question and I think it depends how how much you want to put into social media you'll get back from it and that could be from a standpoint of marketing and self-promotion but also even just delving and learning and um, discovering other chefs and other recipes I I spend hours sometimes um going into these holes of YouTube or onto Instagram or whatever and seeing these like-minded chefs who are creating exciting dishes and it's quite inspiring. Mm, without question. Anyway, we've kind of just got stuck into a conversation, but actually we're going to sorry. talk about you. Um, <laughs> so uh, you're originally born and bred from the Isle of Skye, but you haven't always spent your time there. But before we kind of, I suppose, get into your your full journey talk to me about how you got into hospitality in the first place sure yeah so that's correct I am born and bred on Sky, and I grew up in a hotel so my parents are hoteliers um I always think that word hotelier sounds really posh it's, it's if you if you saw the hotel it's not a too too posh yeah. concept um <laughs> but I, I grew up in a high a classic traditional highland hotel on the Isle of Skye 
which was a colourful upbringing in many ways, because although we were remote and cut off from the rest of the world um, up in the Inner Hebrides, I would come across so many people from different walks of life, whether they'd be guests or they'd be chefs coming to work or people front of house. We'd get loads of people um, coming to do a season up on Sky. So it was an incredible and enriching childhood. Um, But it also really demonstrated how tough an industry it is to work in. I mean, both of my parents were working 24-7 during the season and we would kind of just muck in as children and work. I remember my first job, I must have been about nine years old, taking food out to tables or washing dishes. And it was a real uh, deep dive into that industry. And although it was tough, I think looking back, it's where I learned my fundamentals of how to graft and how to work hard and what makes a successful hospitality business. Yeah, I, I, you know, our stories are very similar because my my parents also had a hotel on Tyree, very small. I mean, more of a guest house, I suppose, rather than a hotel. But and I wasn't born into it, and they weren't born into it either. They were rat racers who who escaped the nine to five to go and pursue a dream, which I, I would imagine was probably a nightmare sometimes. Um, as you say, it's twenty four seven when it's your own business. There's no escape. So yeah, I can't. I I, I understand. It's actually we probably don't maybe give ourselves enough credit for what these things give you at that time of your life. Probably teaching you ethic, you know, just having a work ethic and uh, soldiering on through problems, soldiering on through tough times. All of these kind of the, the things that we probably now take for granted, but actually were yeah. forming you. Totally. And I think for I think most people can agree that when you're in your formative years, or you're growing up, you can quite often resent the environment around you. And yep. I was certainly one of those. <laughs> and it sounds like you were quite similar as well. Indeed, and yes. <laughs> once I had uh, finished high school, the last thing I wanted to do was work in hospitality. Mm. I grew up seeing how difficult it was, how much stress it, it brought into a household I saw how delicate the balance can be between having too much staff or too little. I just knew that that was an industry that it could, it was obviously rewarding, but it, the graft that you had to put in to get any sort of reward was just unbelievable. So after I finished school, the last thing I wanted to do was to go into hospitality. So I thought I'm getting out of here, I'm leaving Sky. And I'm heading to the big smoke like everyone else and doing something entirely different. So that's what I did. And what was what was the entirely different thing? Well, I ended up studying media and public relations, funnily enough, at uni in Edinburgh. And so I did that for a few years and graduated over New Zealand and decided to actually go into the media world and to work in um, TV. So I was working in production and completely the opposite to um, anything to do with chefing or hospitality. So I was working um, for different TV companies down in London. But one thing I always remember telling different producers I'd work with is that growing up in hospitality and in that industry is such a transferable skill to many other industries that I don't think people quite realise that. So I felt like the people skills and um, 
being able to work long extended hours and working quite well under pressure lended itself quite well to me working in that TV industry in London. But like a lot of people, once you leave hospitality, you begin to see the benefits once you're looking back yeah, at it. Grass is, grass is greener until it's made out of yeah. tough, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that's exactly it. So when I was down in London, don't get me wrong, I absolutely loved it. Love London, still do. And I enjoyed working in the TV industry and met lots of interesting characters. But I just kept having this unexpected longing for hospitality. And growing up, I didn't do any cooking at all in the hotel. I worked front of house and did a lot of the customer facing stuff. So cooking wasn't actually something I wa- that was on my radar as an option for me. But it just began to develop as I got older. And I just formed this desire and passion for food and cooking. And I think that living in London is what sparked that or reignited it for me. Yeah, well, I, th- I suppose that's the thing about being somewhere like London, though. I mean, it, you know, that I have always had this thing since I've lived in London. I suppose it's another one of these things where you, when you're there and you're in it and you just keep your head down and you get on with what you're supposed to do, you maybe don't appreciate fully what it is that is, you know, maybe drew you there in the first place. But London for me is, it just gets better. It just gets better mm. and better. And um, and especially in, again, you're probably now at an age in, in this story whereby you're beginning to form in your head who you want to be and what you, what you want to stand for and all of that. And it, when you're kind of, I suppose, when somewhere like London is showcasing all of its, especially when it comes to food, its food capability and all of the, the various different things you've got, I can, I can kind of see why that might have started turning your head again. Absolutely. And you are right about London and many any other major cities around the world. When I was working in TV down there, I didn't have a lot of a chance to experience what it had to offer um, on the food scene or culturally. But once I'd taken a step back from that and realised that hospitality was something I was interested in again... I just began to immerse myself entirely in all of the offerings that London had um, from a food standpoint, which was just incredible. Um, Mm. I was living in Hackney and I managed to get a job. Um, I was hired by a wonderful lady called Jen Weiss, who owned the Lighthouse Cafe in Walthamstow, which was an incredible cafe specialising in just like lovely small plates, seasonal produce. And I managed to get one or two days a week just in the kitchen learning off the chef and it just completely ignited my passion for cooking and I kind of didn't look back after that right 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 so how long ago are we at now when when was this so I was working I I started to go back into hospitality and get my first job in the kitchen in the lighthouse in um, London I think that was back in 2018 2019 so This isn't too, you know, too broad a history here. This is all still fairly recent. And I I do still see myself as being at the beginning of my journey in chefing and um, hospitality. But what happened for me there was I learned a lot in a very short space of time and absolutely loved it and ended up running the kitchen with the other chef, um, which was a really great learning curve for me. But because I grew up in the hospitality industry, I knew how hard it was to work in it and not really 
like the the wages and stuff they're not famed for being that great in the hospitality world depending on what level you're at yeah but I decided that I've grown up in that industry I've seen what graft it takes I know how hard it is but I know how achievable it can be so I decided to look for my own unit and to open up my own business in my London life god that's like jumping off the deep end into I don't know I can't even think of the analogy do you know what I still look back and think what was I thinking like (laughs) I I did it so soon and actually I do tell people that I meet one regret of mine is actually not working in more places for longer right because I am I hold my hands up all the time and say that there's definite gaps in my knowledge when it comes to cooking and chefing yeah. um, I do think that there's probably a few things that I should know as a chef and owner of a kitchen that serves over 250 people a day in the height of the season yeah but I guess that fortune favors the brave in some sense and I thought you know what I'm going to open my own business in London I'm going to take a crack at it and I think after maybe two months of deciding I was going to do it I was I had the keys to my own place and I started renovating it and I got it open within a month yeah my life yeah so your how many years kitchen experience would you have at this point a year two years I'd say a year I'd say about a year yeah right Right, right, right. But then, you know, I mean, it's it's quite remarkable. And I kind of want to give you a round of applause. But I'm guessing there's almost, there's probably some deep psyche stuff going on here around. Also, you've you've grown up in an entrepreneurial environment. So, you know, you maybe didn't realize that that was going to be something that you were quite passionate about until you kind of start finding something that you are passionate about. And then you think, well, actually, I've got some ideas and I've got my own thing. And I absolutely wouldn't get caught up in uh, and worrying too much around the gaps in your cooking capability because actually it's not really about that it's about knowing what you do know and doing it really really well and doing it well enough to the point where people want to keep coming back to to sample it I mean just look at somewhere like Honest Burgers they're a you know a pretty um, pretty well-known burger brand what do they do they just do really good burgers right I mean that pretty much it um yeah so you you don't ha- absolutely don't have to be a fully classically trained chef I think to be successful in this this world yeah I think you're right and the longer that I do work in this industry and in the kind of chefing realm the more I realize that it isn't it, I think that we're moving away now from that overly classically trained image of a chef who has all of the <laughs> you know the badges and whatever and and has this huge roster of places that they've worked that kind of um, gives them their credibility I do think that we have moved away from that now and what speaks a bit louder is the individual and the passion that they have for the food that's around them and what they are willing to try and to experiment with and if people are excited by it and people return and they love love what you're doing then there's no reason why someone with no experience can go and open a kitchen you know absolutely yeah I mean you know there's all manner of uh, success stories of even overnight successes and yes I absolutely don't want to take anything away from somebody who's 
spent a lot of time studying and becoming becoming this person that we're we're actually talking about yeah um because there's definitely a time and a place for for people with that capability but it shouldn't be a hindrance as to why you should come into this industry and why you shouldn't give something that you're passionate about because ultimately what you're talking about is almost business 101 which is it's actually the story you tell with what you do you know and then back it up with a a good quality offering that is way more important than the the specific detail that comes to how you got there in the first place definitely and i i do often say to people as well that the amount that i learned in such a short space of time from just throwing myself into the deep end um, even from uh, working in that kitchen that I first learned how to cook, that was me throwing myself into the deep end. I had no prior experience, mm. but just a passion for food. And then again, throwing myself into the deep end by finding my own unit, renovating it, and then starting up my own business. I made loads of mistakes in that period, but when else are you going to make them? That now, then now is the time to do it. And yeah, yeah. I feel like if I look back on myself, so it's 2023 now, so that was, yeah over three years ago I've come on in such a big way and I wouldn't have done it I wouldn't have come on had I just been working underneath someone this whole time in London I don't think so I think it's like putting yourself into those really vulnerable situations is when you you're going to see the most growth without question yeah so let's talk about that transition then from being an employee into all of a sudden having the keys to your own place um, yeah. First of all, I kind of want to explore the psyche around how that kind of happened. Was there a, a moment whereby you were just like a light bulb came on and you just had a vision of something? and Or how did it all come about that you thought, do you know what? I, I think I've got something. I'm going to give it a go. Yeah, I guess so, actually. Um, so when I started to enjoy everything London had to offer on the food scene, I did realize that there was a slight lack of Scottish authoring and there's a few places in London that are fantastic that do offer classic Scottish produce or things like you can go down the novelty route of like iron brew, square sausage, tatty scones. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love it. Yeah. Haggis 101. I do love that stuff, but I'm kind of more alluding to things like Scottish hand dive scallops or langoustines um best in the world pudding. yeah all the best stuff I kind of felt like that wasn't being showcased enough in um in London there's plenty of incredible restaurants that use the produce from the north of Scotland where I grew up mm. but there was I always kind of found that they were quite um well not very accessible for the average person in London and I wanted to be able to showcase the produce that I grew up surrounded by and was the norm for me to eat on a daily basis. It wasn't a fine dining thing. Mm. And I thought, you know what, what if I was to do brunch, but using all of the produce that I grew up surrounded by and make it accessible and put it on a plate in an exciting way. And let's see if people want it. So I thought, you know what, I think I'm onto something here. I had no business plan. I had no funding, but I Sounds had an like idea. Nailed on success, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't know what I was thinking. 
Yeah. But it happened and I, I made it happen. And I, if people know their, their years and their dates well, the the year 2020 is not a good one for business. No. So um, I ended up opening my doors in February 2020 to my oh, lovely little cafe in Hackney. And of course, I think we're all over the, the P word, but just to reference it quickly, the pandemic obviously arrived and I had to close my doors after five weeks of trading, which was just oh, heartbreaking. Just such a gutter. Yeah, yeah. Um, it really was like so obviously so unexpected, and I just I was in a slight state of shock and panic because I, this was all I had. This was I had just thrown everything I had into opening this small space. Mm. And then, like every other business in the country, we had to close our doors. So we did that. We hired a car and we drove to Sky about three days before lockdown properly hit because we heard that it was going to happen. So we locked up the cafe. At least you kind of got in there, uh, as it were. Yeah, exactly. So we drove up to Sky, became COVID refugees at my parents' house, and (laughs) we kind of expected like everyone else for this to blow over after a few weeks yeah well, so at we the thought time, it was it, it was only talked about yeah we're, we're gonna probably do this for for two three weeks and then see what happens yeah so we kind of thought right let's lock the cafe we're gonna head up to sky just let wait for this to blow over and then we'll pop back down and get it open again mm. so as we all know three weeks led to about three months and while we were up there, I'm not going to pretend it was all sunshine and roses. There was a lot of worry, anxiety, what's going to happen. I had friends in London. I asked them to go and walk past the cafe like every few days just to make sure everything was okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. And there was so much uncertainty in that time. But synonymously, I was on Sky reconnecting with my childhood and rediscovering the joy of being so connected to the produce and cooking everything with such a direct link to the supplier which was incredible so for example there's lots of creel fishermen up on sky and we have their phone numbers just directly and we would text them in the morning and say any chance of 30 langoustines um, i'm wanting to cook that for dinner and they would drive up after they've landed the boat and just drop them on your doorstep Oh my God. Oh, that and sounds it's, incredible. Yeah. And it's just like the magic of that. Mm-hmm. And it was so incredible to reconnect with that part of my life, which was, you know, the reason for my concept of the cafe down in London. But being able to just touch base again with the 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 beauty of that direct link and the transparency of your ingredients was just incredible. Yeah. Um, on sunny days, we would be getting our wetsuits on and diving for the scallops ourselves and then barbecuing them at night. And oh, I think that I I kind I'm of moving. fell in love. I'm moving. That's yeah, it. you're moving back. <laughs> yeah. um, I just think that um, that time made me realise how much I love Sky again. Right. And right. it made me fall back in love with living in a rural place and just enjoying enjoying the abundance of fresh produce around us so we decided one evening when we were up on sky that we weren't going to go back down and we weren't going to open up the cafe again which was a a bit of a tough one to swallow in some ways but everything just unfolded in such a natural way back up on sky and I was able to find a brand new restaurant for lease 
which was three times the size. It was full of light. And I was just so excited to be able to press play again on this food chapter that I'd only just begun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Five-star hospitality means having the right people in the right place at the right time. And that's exactly where RotorCloud can help. RotorCloud is the online platform that makes planning rotors, recording attendance, and managing annual leave easy. Its simple drag-and-drop interface lets you create and share rotors with your team in minutes. While our built-in budgeting tools mean you'll know exactly how much you're spending on staffing before sending the rotor out. RotorCloud also makes life easier for your staff, allowing them to check their rotors, request time off, and pick up extra shifts, all through the RotorCloud mobile app. Start your 30-day free trial today by visiting rotacloud.com forward slash fill and find out how much easier managing your team can be. So um, this was all happening kind of through the the dreaded COVID time, we'll call it. Yeah. What, uh, what kind of timeline are we talking about then in terms of when you kind of decided that I'm, I'm going to switch off the old business and we go full fling into... Full fling is that a phrase? Full fling, fully flung into the, <laughs> the the new business. I think you're getting confused with the Highland fling there. Indeed, yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, one one conversation with a Scottish person and look what happens. Aye, to that's it. So um, yeah, it wasn't like a it wasn't like a super quick switch really. Um, so what I ended up doing was going right back to my roots, and I started to help out one of my siblings at our family hotel. Right. So I started working there, helping her with the general running of things. And I started doing a, like pop-ups, like weekend pop-ups of the Cafe Cool concept. And I was doing that at the weekends at the hotel until I eventually found the premises that I'm moving into, that I moved into and I'm still in today. So that right. took about, um, took about a year. Um, but a lot of people in that time were saying would come up to me and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I heard that you had to close your business and are you OK and all this stuff. And I just never once thought about it as a failure. I never once thought, yeah, that's it over. I knew that there was another chapter of it coming. Mm. So there was no like I didn't lose faith there. And actually, Phil, what I found interesting, what you said um, at the start of our conversation about growing up in that hospitality world and you build a resilience to difficult periods. Yeah. And that really um, rung a bell in my mind when you said that, because I think that that resilience that is built when you grow up in that industry, that's what gave me this unwavering faith that I was going to reopen this cafe and it was going to be fine. And and it is, and it was. Yeah. I, I, I mean, there's obviously, there's still there's probably two other things in play here. One, you, you've still got to have courage to to do this in the first place, especially because it's not like you've, it's not like you spent 30 years doing something and going, do you know what? I, I don't need to do this for other people anymore. I can, I've got enough capability. I've got enough skill. You've kind of gone, I'm going to rip up the rule book of when you're supposed to start a business and I'm going to make up my own rules. And because I I absolutely have the as your words the the faith in the concept that I have, uh, I have the the courage of my own conviction to be able to put the graft in to you know make sure it works. And so you know I I absolutely kind of want to stand up and give you a round of applause because <laughs> I, I, you're, you that whole psyche is exactly what you need in entrepreneurialism to to be successful. You've got to 
if somebody around you is saying that will never work, you're stupid. You've still got to go. Well, that might be the case, but I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna do it anyway, and almost <laughs> I'm gonna prove you wrong. Yeah, totally. You do need to have a little bit of a thicker skin when it comes to that, or accept that things might be a failure. But I think quite a few years ago now, I taught myself that there isn't really such a thing as a failure. The amount that you learn in the process and all of these endeavors has just been incredible. And the business that I have today, one, I don't think it would exist if I hadn't done the, the brave London part. I just don't think I would have created it here. I don't know why. I always tell that to myself. I think that the the initial struggles opening that one unit for such a short space of time, it really built up my confidence to make it what it is today. So I don't think that there's any failures really. Yeah, and, and let's face it, if, of all of the challenges of opening a business, I mean, at the time that you chose, you, I mean, you literally could not have chosen a worse time to open a business. The the first business, I should say. Um, <laughs> you know, so whether, and, and at that time, there was it's not like it was something that had ever happened before that you could turn to somebody who you might know in the industry and go, right, what do I do? I'd, you know, nobody knew. So you kind of almost, you know, you're you're all of a sudden the, the world's most experienced CEO when it comes to <laughs> that moment because nobody had a clue what to do. Yeah, next. I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. And I think there was definitely... I don't like to dwell on it all too much that period. I think we're all very like happy that it's over, but I do think that there was a sense of unity about it. Like everyone in the industry was just like, what is going on here? But you know, we're all in the same boat and I think everyone has got way more connection now in the industry because of it. Yeah. Without question. Yes, you're right. We won't dwell on that time. Um, (laughs) Although it's obviously it's played a, 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 actually a wonderful part in being the catalyst for, the, this wonderful chapter that you're you're now beginning to write definitely um, so day one you opened when what was your your opening date of of cafe cool so i opened cafe cool in its current uh, form march last year it feels like i've been at this for years wow. but i'm only in my second year of cafe cool in its current form on the isle of sky so right. we right. are coming to the end of our second season so yeah, it's just been two full seasons here so far. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And it's been incredible up here. It's just gone from strength to strength, really. We, I think I mentioned earlier, um, at the height of the season, which tends to be kind of July, August time, we can be serving up to 250 people a day. Hmm. There's only two of us in the kitchen, so it's a fair amount of people to be serving very full on and that is only from 10 till 4 so six hours to serve that many people we quite often will see queues out of the door um which is a great sign and the people who come are tend to be I would say 80 percent in the height of the season are holiday makers yeah or people visiting the Isle of Skye and then 20% are locals. Um, and I do think that the locals, they love to come to the cafe, but I think they prefer it when it's a bit quieter. Right. So yeah. they, they tend to wait until everyone's headed home. Bloody tourists. So, I know. Yeah. Yeah. We love them, though. We do. We love <laughs> do, you we guys. We absolutely love them. Um, <laughs> the, yes. Um, the name. Where? What? Because oh, yes. it's, it, it says, when you say it out loud, Cafe Cool, you think mm-hmm. it's going to be C-O-O-L. It's yep. not. 
so it's C-U-I-L? C-U-I-L, yes. Yep. So I am a fluent Gaelic speaker. So Gaelic, if anyone doesn't know, is our language, uh, which we speak mostly in the northwest of Scotland. It's only spoken by less than 5% of the Scottish population now. So some people describe it as a dying language, which I completely refuse to believe. Um, it's a wonderful language. I grew up speaking it and I wanted to play my part for the language that is somewhat struggling in some areas. And I wanted to use a word like cool, which by the way, is Gaelic for nest or nook. All right. So the word cool is meant to give people a feeling of coziness or um, kind of like you're in the nook of a corner. And that's what the, the word comes from. It's also um, a slight play on the fact that we are situated just in front of the Coolins, which is our mountain range, which is spelled C-U-I-L-L-I-N-S. So it also just sounds like the word cool, which I love. Yeah. And it's a great word, actually, that I can use in my marketing to play on the word cool. And yeah. uh, I actually quite like it when people think it's spelt <laughs> the other way, because it is a cool place. And I really enjoy having a Gaelic name for the place because it's just a way for me to play my part for the heritage of this place. Yeah, sure. And, and it's also part of your own story as well, you know, so it's it's not like you you've just made it up because it sounded cool um sorry i had to get that joke oh out. definitely um, with yeah without um I, I would i don't really want to like slag any anything off but there there is a wee phrase called gallic washing which is um mm. alive and well at the moment where people who don't have much connection to the language will look up a dictionary find the gallic word for fish or the gallic word for restaurant and then just slap it on a sign but at the same time, at least they're using the language in some way. It's just hard for them to find much of a meaning or connection to it, you know? So yeah. it's yeah, yeah. it's a privilege to be a fluent speaker and to be able to use the language in the restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. Don't test me on it because I did learn a little <laughs> bit when I was at school, but I um I, I, I was an East Coast boy to start with. So I, I went I, when I went to school it was everybody had been learning Gaelic since they basically were born and uh, oh, you no I, chance no not a chance but um <laughs> but there we are uh, that's a story for another day as well but um yeah. now actually i'm going to take you back to the opening of your business because that when the, you very kindly shared a, a wonderful story with me around this kind of plays into the this whole belief system that i have around you you don't know what you don't know and um, it was uh, there, there was a fire outside your oh, restaurant, as I recall. So please do tell. Oh, my God. Do you know what? I think about this about once a week. And I remember like how traumatic an experience this was. It's funny now. But at the yeah. time, I think I had just reopened this cafe after closing in London. I was like, right, now is my shot. We've got this great new building. I'm going to make the best of this opportunity that I can. Mm. I think about maybe a week or so into opening, I just finished a really busy service. I went out the kitchen door, which, by the way, backs on to just this incredible meadow. It, the building is just in the middle of nowhere in a lovely field. Mm. And I walked out of the kitchen door and to my horror, the entire hill metres away from the cafe was engulfed in flames and 
I stood there for a second and it was one of those fight or flight moments where I, I just froze entirely and I was like, okay, this has got about three minutes until the fire has hit this building and everything is going to go up in flames, yeah. including the customers inside it. My God. So yeah. I was just stood there in disbelief. And then it was, and then another person from the kitchen came out and saw the flames and was like, oh my goodness, we have to do something. What's happening here? I saw flames heading down towards the oil tank and everything. I was petrified. I just thought, oh my goodness, this place is going up. So the first thing I could do with my rattling, shaking hands was to phone the landlord um, who lived luckily just not too far away. And I managed to phone him and I said, you've got to help, you've got to help me come down. There's a fire. I I couldn't even get my words out. And he said, yeah, I started it. And I said, what are you on about? You started it. And turns out he was burning the heather. He was doing what we call up here a falishker, which is Gaelic for burning of the heather, which happens on an annual basis where crofters or farmers in the area will burn a lot of the land so that it can make way for fresh grass for grazing for the animals. And he had basically started this fire, which had admittedly I think had gone a bit out of control a bit too close for comfort to the cafe but little did I know that he was actually following the flames with a hose but he didn't he decided not to tell me that he was going to do the control burn this day might have been useful oh it was (laughs) such a frightening experience and I still think about it as being like if I ever have a bad day I think well at least the, the the cafe isn't going on fire anytime soon or the entire field around this place isn't engulfed in flames so it's a really good benchmark for me to know like what stress actually is <laughs> yeah yeah god and I can't imagine what's what must have been going through your head at that time as well especially having had kind of you know one monumental disaster in your previous business completely <laughs> out of your control and then you're like are there any more signs that maybe I shouldn't be doing this Exactly. No. um, Well, luckily it didn't deter me too much. And today we are thriving and we haven't had any fires and um, yeah, things are going very well. So fingers crossed it remains that way. Good, good, good. Yeah, no, absolutely. A couple of other things I just wanted to cover before I I let you go. Uh, One is you you took part in a a competition on the TV. I believe. I did indeed. Good old broadcasting TV. I did. Yeah, so um, it was that. actually, it's funny how this, you would think it would play into my story of the cafe, but it, it it's not actually what got me into working in food. However, it is um, quite a amazing experience that we took part in. So back in 2017, so this is way before I um, started cooking uh, professionally, mm. my friend and I, who also has a business on Sky, we decided to enter My Kitchen Rules, which is a cooking competition hosted on Channel 4. It's really big in Australia, and I think they did a format over here in the UK. And so we entered My Kitchen Rules kind of as a laugh. I think we saw, we were were young, just finished uni, fairly skint, and I think we saw the 10k prize which was a big banner on the on the advertising we thought right let's get on that let's see how we get on and yep. even if we don't win um it will have learned something along the way anyway there was me and my friend Neil and then 20 other teams of two 
And it was three months of filming and each week we had to do a different task, whether it be Indian street food or if classic French cuisine or we did we had to do our own pop-up restaurant as one week as one of the challenges and each week we were adjudicated by different Michelin star chefs which was so so daunting um, and slightly terrifying actually and we just couldn't believe it that each week we were knocking all of these teams out me and my mate Neil were in our early 20s and we were um we were uh, against other people in the competition who were maybe a bit on the a bit older and who had had experience in cooking before or um at least had been passionate cooks for a very long time and each week we kept knocking them out and we kept looking at each other thinking are we going to win this i have no idea i don't even know how what we're doing right here and before we knew it we were in the final and we were against another a lovely team and our judge for the final was none other than Jay Rayner. And oh, right. for yeah, pretty terrifying. Yeah. And uh we Nothing had like to cooking food for a critic. Absolutely. And the final the final task was to cook a meal for all of the previous contestants. So it was kind of like the the challenge was to figure out how to cook things like en masse, because we had to cook a lot of it. And we ended up deciding to go back to our roots and cook things that we could get from Skye. So we did like a, a venison tartare that we got um, from the hills of Skye. We did something with langoustines with crab, I think, for the main. And then we did a, a bramble brulee. So we got everything from the island and showcased it to the ex-contestants and Jay Rayner. And to our amazing delight, he crowned us the winners of My wow. Kitchen Rules. And we walked away with 10k, which was was the objective, (laughs) which was absolutely the objective. And thank goodness we did, because we didn't work for three months. So we were pretty skinned by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. But it was amazing. And although it wasn't like a direct entrance into, for some reason, we we didn't just both go into working in food straight away. Mm. But I think that winning that not only was it great fun, but it did give us, I guess, without us realising, a certain level of confidence in our own ability, which yeah. I'm sure maybe gave me that extra boost to start up on my own. I, I'm sure you're right, yeah. And also maybe as well, there's um, some deep psyche stuff going on here around the concept because you've actually just won a competition showcasing the food of the, the place that, that you come from, which is kind of you know, where, where your concept now has its roots. So maybe yeah. it was the early, the early version of yeah, uh, that of, early validation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I Absolutely. think you're onto something there. What a cool story! Yeah, no, I, I love that because I suppose you, the other thing is you never really know how much of a thing these things are playing their part in molding your life and the little seeds that they're sowing in your in your your psyche. I love I love a bit of philosophy anyway, but um, definitely. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing that actually uh, I wanted to, to talk to you about, which is kind of not really, I suppose, story related, but I actually just when you wrote this in your your notes, uh, it really resonated with me because it's a an, an industry wide issue at the moment is is around staffing. Yeah, and actually the you seem to have you're not having problems with it. Ooh, and so, touch wood. Yeah, well, indeed, <laughs> but I I think that whenever there's success. And I saw I saw a phrase today which I really really loved, uh, which was a candle's light does not go out 
if it lights another candle. And it's all around the, the philosophy around, you know, it's kind of pay it forward or lift people up or, you know, let them, just because you're letting somebody else shine a light on something doesn't mean that you can't, you're still not shining that light yourself. So what it, this to me sounds like a little bit like a success story. And I think any success that we can share with the world at the moment, when everything that's out in the, the wider world just seems to be gloomy, uh, I, I am all for that. So, um, yeah, <laughs> let's let's talk culture. How did how how are you how are you winning? That's a really really good question. It's quite a broad question, but it, it is, is something and I that absolutely padded it out <laughs> way beyond what it needed. But <laughs> not at all. No, it's it's a it's a really good conversation. I think to have, especially in the current climate, where all I hear is staffing crisis and shortages. Yeah. But I do believe that culture is everything when it comes to not only just hospitality, but any business. But when we're focusing in on hospitality and the struggles it's facing at the moment, you need to have a good culture. And when I say culture, that is quite a a broad term. But um, what I mean by that is how happy are your staff? How engaged are they? And how much do they share your vision for the for the business? Mm. And I think about those things on a daily basis. And an example of that is I will be quite open and I like to be quite vulnerable with my staff and professionally vulnerable. And when I mean that, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to them all like we're a team and like they are also the owners of the business. I want them to have the same desire for it to succeed as I do. And I think that because I work there on a daily basis, I work with them all. Um, I talk to them about what I want the cafe to be. And I talk about about the goals that I want to achieve with it. And they believe in it as well. Mm. And I think that that is the fundamental thing, that a shared vision with all of the team is really important. And also letting them have their own creativity within the business. Because if it's just me, I am. I like to see myself as a leader. I, I do own the business and I am the, the sole owner of it. But I like to think that every team member's contribution to what we are providing at that cafe is equally as important as mine. And I think that if they know their worth and they know that their contribution is important, then why why wouldn't you want to work there? And I think that that is, has been the key for retaining my staff so far. And we haven't had any shortages. Actually, a few times we've had too many staff. So it's, um, it's quite incredible how well it's doing in that sense. And I don't think that paying people loads of money is the key to keeping staff. I think there's so much more to yeah. that. And um, if you can wake up in the morning and feel like you are being appreciated at work i think that is completely priceless yeah money papers over the cracks you you know it, it's uh it doesn't solve the issue if you're not dealing with the things that you've just mentioned and actually the way you've uh, so eloquently put that there i think is just a really lovely simple way to think about it that, that sometimes we overcomplicate solutions to things but in actual fact a lot of the time the solutions are right in front of our eyes. And actually, if you just think about things logically and and put yourself in the shoes of the people that you're looking to bring on the journey with you, what do they want? What do they really want? 
And yes, money is important and to a point that we all need it to, to, to live and get by, but it's not the fundamental reason for the vast majority of people who are career-minded as to why they will do something. Absolutely agree. And if you lead people with that understanding, that connection and meaning and enthusiasm for a project or a job is what is driving you all, that shared vision is is what's going to keep everyone there and it makes it enjoyable for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. So, um, well, what's next? I suppose you're, you're getting through this season and uh, yeah, what, what's the, the next chapter of Cafe Cool? Well, yeah, I've been loving the, the journey so far with the cafe and we are coming to a close for season two, which has gone really well. And I'm thinking of, I know, isn't it? Yeah, season two um, finale coming soon. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm think what I'm thinking of doing is spending the off months, um, if there's such a thing, but developing more recipes and actually working at documenting them a bit more and sharing my recipes with a wider audience and getting them more involved in the island culture and how they can get their hands on certain ingredients and create the the simple but delicious things that we make at the cafe so that's my goal for this winter i think right absolutely that sounds like a sounds like a cookbook's coming oh sounds like it we'll see <laughs> <laughs> great stuff brilliant well look I, I i think your story is amazing and i think it's also one of those stories that just plays completely into the more i do this the more i'm gobsmacked by the people that this industry has and I, I think there is no right or wrong way to do anything, you know. And it, it you know, your sto- story would say that you're, you know, you're a bit, a bit nuts actually <laughs> to, to do what you've done, because yeah. that's what all the rule books tell you. You know, if you're going to open a business, make sure you've, you know, especially if you're going to put business plans together for funding and stuff like that. You know, you've got to kind of show credibility in that process. But in actual yeah. fact, sometimes. And this has been a subject that's come up many times on the show is that actually naivety is one of the greatest gifts when it comes to starting a business. And I mean that in the Mm. nicest possible way. I'm not uh, I'm not saying, oh, you were totally naive because actually that's a brilliant that's a great thing to to say. I I totally agree with that as well, because, you know, if you think about things too much, then you probably don't end up doing what you're doing. Right. You just you think it, do it, action it, go. absolutely and I would actually um if anyone asks me about that and if I if I could give any advice it would be to not overthink it you Mm. waste way more time and you lose way more opportunities if you just sit and think oh what if or should I shouldn't I if you've got a thing if you've got a concept if you've got an idea just go for it because if you've got the 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 graft and if, if you know that you're capable of doing something and you've got the talent to do it and you believe in yourself nine times out of ten it's going to work so I would just crack on and give it a bash hell that's that's a quote <laughs> that's going uh somewhere yeah crack on and give it a bash <laughs> love that that's your that's oh, your epitaph dear. right there that's it yeah great stuff so if if people want to learn more about you or the the cafe what's the where where should we send them Yes, you should come and check us out on Cafe Cool on Instagram. That's where we're most active and publishing lots of recipes and whatnot. So if you follow our journey on there and you'll see what we're up to. 
Fantastic. And I, I should also say another one of your obviously amazing traits is your proactivity because you reached out to me to see if I would have you on the show. And this has actually been one of the, the wonderful things about this podcast is that without it, how do I meet people like you who are doing amazing stuff? So uh, I, I really, really mm-hmm. thank you for, for having the, the courage and the, and the proactivity to, to reach out and, and say, how about my story? exactly no I've absolutely loved it thank you so much Phil it's been a it's been a joy fantastic good luck with your uh, your next season thank you very much cheers bye 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 and there we have it what a cracking story from Claire with so many wonderful lessons and anecdotes I'm so grateful that she took the time to reach out to me to come on the show and wish her well with the next phase of Cathy Cool we'll be back as usual at 8pm next Wednesday for another story from hospitality so until then thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week 